Welcome, we are the Ladybirds, and we are here having open conversations about mental health, sex, and womanhood. Dear diary, my teen angst bullshit has a body count. Don't have sex, because you will get pregnant and die. You can't do anything unless you're the center of attention. Don't have sex in the missionary position. Need a boyfriend who's not such a complete bonehead. Don't have sex standing up. All I see is pork swords. You're a virgin who can't drive. Just don't do it, promise? If this is your first time tuning in, my name is Mandy. I like talking about movies and sex, and I love being with my gal friends. I am here today with... I'm Kate. I love animals and having conversations with my friends and actually seeing them in person after a very long time. My name is Gabby. And I like folk music, as I always say, and really I'm just happy to be recording in person again. So this is our third episode, which is very exciting, especially because I would say that this might be our most taboo topic when it comes to sexual wellness. Yes. So Mandy, what are we talking about today? We are talking about a piece of media that has touched all of our lives, and that is porn. We're talking about porn today, y'all. Woo woo! I've watched it. You've watched porn. Yes, there's a good chance the dude on the subway is watching it next to us. And yes, that has happened to me. Life on the T. I did a little research. And basically, as we speak, an estimated 28,258 people are watching porn right now. I'm sure that is much higher because we are in times of the Rona. And in fact, every second, they estimate that 372 people are typing the word adult into their search engines. If everybody's doing it, everybody's watching it, why is our relationship with porn so complicated? In my research, I have discovered Porn has been a part of our society for literally ages. There is pornographic rock art that can be traced back to prehistoric times. I'm not kidding. There are depictions of the missionary position in ancient Mesopotamia. And also there are depictions of doggy style. And the ladies are sipping beer mid... Mid bang? Mid bang. (laughs) Mid bang. Yeah, that's what I want. Give me the Modelo while I get it from the back. (laughs) (laughs) Porn has been a part of society. It has developed with the technology. You know, we see it being printed with the printing press and mass produce and all that in the 15th, 16th, 17th century. And then eventually we start to get to film porn. The first film camera was invented in 1892. And then by 1896, we see the first erotic film. I will butcher this. It's French, but I think it's Le Coucher de la Marie. All I think of is, is it like Coochie's or it's like Maria's Coochie? <laughs> Marie's Coochie? Marie's Coochie? But it's a French striptease. And so we're literally seeing the first pornographic film four years after the film camera was made. That brings us to why do we have a, such a taboo relationship with porn? Because if you look at it prehistoric times up until 19th century, it was just kind of part of our society. But you see in 1857 in England, it's 
the first time in the world that we actually see a law criminalizing pornography and censoring it. And it was with the passage of the Obscene Publications Act. And now we are here today where a lot of the debate in America and worldwide, it's a debate of morality with pornography. At the core of it, it's always been by consuming porn, is it say something negative about yourself? about your morals does it affect you in a negative way porn is a very polarizing topic and i think for me the scary part is not just because it's really taboo to talk about it but because it just genuinely feels too personal to talk about my porn habits and then send it out to the world but like you said mandy everyone is watching porn so I guess it's just everyone's dirty little secret. I would 100% agree. I was nervous to do the episode on porn, even though I've had to do a bunch of research with writing about it on some personal, you know, scripts and stuff. And so, but I'm, I know, keep your eyes out for that. But um, yeah, and I guess, so to jump into it, uh, what was y'all's first introduction to porn? <laughs> I guess I can just rip off the band-aid with my introduction to porn because I'm not really someone who watches porn. It's not something that really gets me off. But like everyone else, I think I've also experimented with porn to a certain extent. It probably started a little bit before I was 14 with just figuring out that there are some kind of adult-only websites and not really realizing that I was consuming porn. And then really having that realization that I was actually consuming porn or some form of pornographic and erotic content was definitely through YouTube and Tumblr in like early high school. I very sneakily would try to look up dirty things on Tumblr. And then once I started seeing images and gifs of people making out, groping or humping, and even just nudes and realizing, oh, these are things that there are actually full videos and movies about and realizing that people actually masturbate to this. But I think my consumption to porn or the lack of it correlates very heavily with my lack of experimentation with masturbating until honestly very recently. I realized I wasn't a big fan of porn, probably because I did feel gross when it was all over, but I also think it removed me too much from where I was and how I was feeling. I suppose it didn't quite fulfill my sexual desires and fantasies and it still doesn't really. But yeah, I think I'm still slowly learning to get rid of the stigma and the shame that comes with porn consumption. And I think talking about it with friends and my partner definitely helps. But also educating myself and doing research on ethical porn and sex work. And understanding where does my shame come from? Why do I feel bad after I consume it? Just the level of shame you felt with porn is something that resonated with me. I mean, in our sex education, I mean, I was trying to like access what I guess you could argue is porn in like the second grade, third grade on YouTube, which has plenty of safety locks on that. Good job, YouTube. I actually did not really watch or look at porn until I was in high school. And I remember it because I was at the lunch table and I discovered that some of my female friends had like watched watched it and they were just oh yeah I totally watched it last night and I was like oh you guys watch it it's not just like for boys it's cool that they were very open about it though because 
The topic of porn consumption and masturbation was not really something that my friend group really talked about at all. Yeah, and I, I think that's probably why I felt comfortable eventually. I remember going home that day and just, you know, incognito mode and then going on Pornhub and I was like, whoa, there is so much and there's so many categories. What? And then, you know, I just... But I remember for like three weeks, I was like, would just go home, do my homework, and then like, okay, what's this category? What's this category? Did you discover any really crazy categories? Um, I think the weirdest one I did discover was like a lot of like the hentai stuff and just like Disney princesses are very... And it, yeah, so that was the only thing. Like, I I remember being blown away with that. And then obviously... uh, unfortunately like you you will kind of come across some of the more aggressive categories and so that is you know a door of the internet I will close like I never need to access that since you brought up hentai I actually had a really young exposure to pornography and it wasn't intentional I was maybe 10 or 11 and I was looking up Sailor Moon stuff I like accidentally stumbled across because there weren't necessarily parental controls on things but yeah I just remember coming across it and being like what is this and like looking through stuff sort of understanding what I was looking at but not not really. But I do remember getting in trouble because <laughs> I did not clear uh, the internet history because I was a dumb, dumb young human and my parents found out and that definitely added a layer of shame to it because my parents were like, no, this is bad. You don't watch it. It's gross. It's wrong. That sort of thing. So I didn't actually look into porn until probably later into my teens, like end of high school. It's so funny too, like even the shame about people knowing that I've watched it. Like my mom listens to the podcast, shout out Joanne. And just like the idea that she's going to hear this like turns. So I strictly told my parents, you're not allowed to listen yeah, to this. Yeah, just you, like. You don't get to know the name of <laughs> They're very supportive, but I've asked them never to speak to me about the subjects that I talk about. Just give it a thumbs up or a thumbs down. And so. <laughs> I think everyone feels the same sort of shame after watching porn. But I think how casually we talk or accept the idea of a teenage boy watching porn and even masturbating is a lot more accepted and normalized. Mm -hmm. So I think for girls, on top of feeling that shame, it also ends up being a removal of our pleasure and sexual exploration. I think one of the things my parents definitely drove home, or like that I just, it stands out in my mind, was it's unladylike. Yeah. Like, so it did add this layer of, this female layer to it, where it's not just like a bad thing, but it's specifically bad that you're watching it because you're a girl and like you're not supposed to do that kind of thing. I mean, porn is very much tied to masturbation and we know how the world feels about female pleasure. But I think when it comes to the topic of morality and porn, like you were talking about, Mandy, I think it's really interesting to see how society handles this. Because if you think about it, the feeling that porn is evil can be present from feminists to conservatives. I think it's quite easy to identify where the shame is manifested for conservatives. You know, the idea that porn and even sex in general is just inherently wrong, which is often tied to religious morality. But for feminists, that's what's really interesting because it typically is a concern about sex work and the mistreatment that can happen, as well as the dominant toxic culture seen in mainstream porn content. Mm -hmm. You know, the degradation and exploitation of females, the male gaze, lack of representation and intersectionality, 
all of which are very serious and valid concerns. But I think to a certain extent, both understandings and perceptions of porn should be deconstructed in order to provide a more accurate and productive way to look at porn. When we consider all sex work damaging and wrong, we automatically begin to essentially criminalize porn. And then by default, we erase the voices of sex workers. So I think we need to talk about the ethics of porn and consuming ethical porn and creating ethical porn. But I think we also need to kind of move away from this high ground that all porn is bad. Yeah, I I totally agree because I feel like I have a very complicated relationship with porn kind of because of what you're talking about where like, you know, I enjoy porn. Like, gonna put that out there. I enjoy it. But unfortunately, right now, the the porn industry is just, it's governed under the same repressive patriarchal system that essentially all of our systems under capitalism are governed under. And so that's where you see this exploitative nature, this abusive nature. I think, unfortunately, the people that have a lot of control in mainstream porn are often straight white men and so as a result we often see that's the content that is put out we're, we're kind of talking mainstream film pornography since Pornhub is like kind of the go-to epicenter I would say for porn and because it can be uploaded by users there's so many issues with unethical content with abusive content with dangerous content being uploaded that brings into the question of like how much of the porn industry could be shifted in a healthier direction if we legitimized the industry, legitimized the people who work in it? Because what always really bothers me is how disgusting people tend to label the industry. And to be perfectly honest, I'm like more disgusted that Roger over here works in pharmaceuticals and makes like hundreds of thousands of dollars off jacking up the price of my insulin that could kill me versus Betty over here who's giving a blowjob on camera and it's consensual and she's being paid and she has health insurance. We have these industries in our society. I'll scream about big farm. I'll scream about health insurance all day long that literally profit off of people dying, off of sick people. And yet we cannot accept and build up an industry that is just people having sex, which is a natural part of human being. We've, we've been documented for years. So I think it comes down to not accepting sex work as work. In order to get to that place, in my opinion, which is to create and normalize ethical porn, we have to start looking at ethical porn as a set of labor rights and practices that are applied to all porn and not just the ones considered to be feminist. And part of that is on the consumer, right? I mean, if you're going to consume porn, then you should be paying sex workers directly. Support the industry and content you want to see, especially when it comes to having intersectional and diverse porn become the mainstream porn. Well, and that's where 
I a little bit wish that, or a lot of bit wish that the government would legalize sex work in our country because that would legalize prostitution, sex work, filming for the porn industry, and it would be like having that ability to regulate it would make it so much safer. And if young kids are accessing porn and having access because they have such a kind of unregulated access to computers these days and they can see this kind of stuff, like what are we exposing kids to? Because we, we said it earlier, like people watch porn. It's happening. It's going to happen. Teens are going to see it. Kids are going to see it. Stuff happens. Another massive issue in porn right now is what we often see is just able-bodied white individuals, you know, straight couples. And I, I can't help but think that if we legitimize porn, if we accepted it, then we could change the voices behind who's making porn. Well, and I think kind of off of what you're saying, because when younger teens, kids are exposed to this sort of stuff and they haven't had a conversation with their parent about pornography or sex even, that that's what they're seeing and that's what they're normalizing as, oh, this is what sex is. And I think all of us who have had sex with cis hetero men can probably can probably relate to having some experiences of them doing stuff that you're like why on earth would you ever think that i would like that or want that to happen to me or my body i think we've all felt this way right <laughs> and that's why we talked about how comprehensive sex education needs to include pornography because kids need porn literacy. We need to have the ability to understand pornography. I mean, the New York Times did a study and it showed that 53% of boys and 39% of girls said that pornography was realistic and true to sexual encounters. It's kind of funny, but like, I just like have watched it before. I'm like, oh, that's why he thought... He, it, he should go as fast and as hard as he possibly can. Because so was it like jackhammering? I was like, why did he think jackhammering was appealing? And then I was like, oh, this is why. Like, oh. And so a lot of my 20s has kind of been unlearning what I had learned by watching porn in some ways and being able to have, I think, a healthier relationship with porn where it's like, approach this as, just like I approach movies, like this is just fantasy, this is not reality. And like, I should not use it to govern my life and my sexual life and my sexual wellness. I think it's very easy to talk about the lack of porn literacy being an issue that we see very much with boys because of, you know, acts of aggression during sex or just unrealistic expectations of what sex is going to be like. But I think in reality, you know, girls feel that too. I mean, how many times did I go insane thinking, watching porn, thinking that I needed to moan that way or that I was meant to know how to squirt or that I was supposed to orgasm after two seconds of being penetrated by my partner? I mean, these are all unrealistic perceptions that porn gives young girls that are exploring their sexuality too. At least for me, watching porn as a young teen, I think it was damaging that most of the porn is very much like male point of view porn, where it's like this being done to the woman. So most of the pornography that I was exposed to is like, oh, sex isn't really for me. It's like for men to do to me. And like, I'm ish a part of it, but it's about like male pleasure. And so I feel like for a very long time when I started becoming sexually active, it was very much 
hard for me to be able to get out of my head and enjoy the moment and be a participant in it and be active in it because I'm so focused on does he like this? How do I look to him? For me, what was really damaging, I think, for porn was just the people I saw having sex. And it was usually very thin, able-bodied white women. And it was really hard for me to think of myself as somebody that could be desired, that could have sex and be pleasurable because I'm not, you know, a size two. And I'm also diabetic. So I've got like hardware on me and just like it it took a while for me to understand that like yeah I might not have seen myself in porn but I am a person that deserves to have sex and that that is worthy of having sex and like unfortunately I carry it for a long time but you know every day working to fight against that. So we've talked a lot about our personal experiences with porn consumption, the way that our society and culture looks at pornography and the porn industry. And we've talked a little bit about ethical porn. And ultimately, I think what we've really tried to focus on is porn is about sexual fantasies and sexual fantasies in and of itself is not unhealthy. And so if you're consuming porn and it doesn't negatively affect any part of your life, There's no need to feel bad about it. We also did want to touch upon some things that we've been hearing a lot on social media, on the news outlet that does involve porn. And the one that I'm thinking of specifically that I really wanted to talk to you guys about, which is the Bella Thorne incident that happened during quarantine. If you guys don't know about Bella Thorne, she is a Disney actress, so she does have a lot of fame and also a lot of money. (laughs) She created a OnlyFans account, and OnlyFans is a subscription-based social media-ish platform where you can post whatever you think will get people to pay you for. So it can be nudes, it can be any sort of like fetishes, and it was found out that she cleared $1 million in a single day and that set a record for the subscription based uh, of OnlyFans account. Later, she did say that it reached to $2 million, which is insane. And so that got a lot of backlash from a number of people in the sex work community and also just beyond that. And I think something that is like sort of difficult to explain is she set a price of $20 per month for a subscription to her feeds. And then after that, she basically scammed her subscribers where she said that she was selling nudes. I believe it was for $200. And in reality, they ended up not being nudes. And so a few things happened here. One that I thought was really interesting was that Aussie Rachel, I believe was her name, was a sex worker that spoke very vocally about this because she's an OnlyFans creator. And she compared it or talked about it in a celebrity gentrifying a space that is meant for sex workers. And this is a very safe environment and open space for sex workers to make their living out of, to pay their bills, to feed their kids. The backlash was so big that it directly affected some of the rules that OnlyFans account allowed for selling the content. And essentially she endangered the livelihoods of so many of the creators. And it starts off with the fact that because of her celebrity status, she was able to up the price $200 for nudes. It's above the average for what most creators can sell their content for. And then for it to not have been a nude is 
a scam. Well, and I think, correct me if I'm wrong, the issue that's happening is that if the photo is not what it's at, like if you are scammed on OnlyFans, you can request a refund. And the amount of refunds that OnlyFans was experiencing made it so that they lost so much money because of what she did that they now put a cap on how much you can charge for each of your things. So now all of these people who are relying on this as a source of income are are capped at what they can make. Yeah, and you think about it in this way as well. This is also this also happened during coronavirus, so during quarantine where for sex workers, this is even a bigger issue. I didn't even think of that. You know, like they can't go out and interact socially with their clients without endangering themselves. Normally, I believe the pay period for tips or what you'd make was like, I think, seven days. And with the Bella Thorne, I think it was like 21 days that a lot of, yeah, so a lot of these individuals were essentially going to have to go three weeks without a paycheck. How many of us can sit here and find out that our employer is not going to pay us for three weeks? Who can pay their bills? Who can afford this? And here's the thing, people were defending Bella Thorne because they were like, oh, she's worked in pornography before. But here's the thing, she doesn't actually know what it's like for real sex workers Mm -hmm. and the stigma and the risk of not having the job opportunities that they need to pay their bills. The actual work and the actual struggles that get put into creating those content that these people work so hard on and take so much care of And this girl who has X amount of celebrity status is able to just come in and without thinking about it, just make a shit ton of money and then not take any responsibility for the consequences that come after. Because there's just a lot of problems there. And so we wanted to really acknowledge that because I think that goes back to like support the sex workers that you want to see, the sex workers that are going to provide the content that you want. And that means pay them directly. I think that is probably the safest way to kind of go around this idea of ethical porn and how to consume that and how to find that because it is out there. We just have to actually support it with our money as we do with everything else, every other form of entertainment that we consume. And with the OnlyFans, it felt like we were hitting a glass ceiling of finally almost mainstream acceptance of porn. Because the other thing that I think is still crazy to think about is like our access to pornography is still under threat. Um, I watched this really awesome documentary called Circus of Books. You guys should watch it. But it follows this middle-class conservative Jewish couple um, in Los Angeles who by chance in the 70s end up acquiring this adult bookstore in LA. Um, And they ultimately become the biggest distributor of gay porn in the United States. But um, I won't spoil the film, but at one point, the co-owner and father of this adult bookstore faces jail time for illegally transporting obscene material across state lines. And this case happened in 86. This was an important time in history because under the Reagan administration, I hate Reagan, (laughs) evil man, Um, there was, I think it's the Massey report. And it was this massive report that was detailing kind of what porn was and the quote-unquote harmful effects. And as a result, there was a big push in the 80s to 
kind of crack down on the industry. And something that I recently learned is that actually porn addiction is yet to be classified in the DSM, which, yeah, which we know like the DSM is problematic and and it's ever evolving, but it's still not considered a mental disorder. That report under Reagan was trying to argue that they needed to get rid of porn because it will lead to a mental disorder. And we then continue to have this debate and I found that in 05 under the Bush administration, they created the Obscenity Prosecution Task Force, which was its aim was just to investigate and prosecute producers and distributors of, in quotation marks, hardcore porn. Essentially, Bush created this task force in 05, and then it wasn't till 2011 that under the Obama administration that they got rid of this task force. But it's just insane to me that literally back to the 80s, there is a man who was facing jail time for just distributing pornography the fight for access to porn is still a a big issue and can i ask was the porn that he was am i wrong or was it like gay porn it was gay porn which i think that that kind of goes under the idea that like gay porn is hardcore porn or it was an adult bookstore but it was pretty much like the epicenter for gay porn and so that's why i think they were so high profile and why the government wanted to take them down and It is crazy to me that we still have a government that is trying to prioritize just getting away of of porn versus trying to prioritize abuse of porn, child pornography. It's like, why can't we focus on actual problems? How do you guys feel? My bigger takeaway is like gay porn is listed as like hardcore porn. So it could be like softcore gay porn, but it's still considered hardcore. Yeah. It's still, I feel like in our mainstream considered like extreme to be gay i guess i don't know well we've talked about how even in films female pleasure gets a higher rating it's the same thing when it comes to queer pleasure mm-hmm. that always gets a higher rating that's always considered more explicit well and i feel like as a queer person that just like puts a whole other angle onto like feeling uncomfortable with like porn and sex absolutely we're just caught in this weird cycle of denial about consuming porn we're in denial and then we're constantly trying to fight it and then as a result we are feeding into an industry that then marginalizes who pursues it who's behind it and then as a result you don't necessarily get the creatives that you need to elevate the industry so you know push back against the puritanism and embrace the joy and pleasure and all the fun that sex can bring yeah and a a pro tip if you are starting to explore always type in romantic and pleasurable you know that's a pro tip for y'all i'm gonna second that but i'm gonna also add the word passion and or passionate (laughs) passionate sex great yeah fantastic passionate pleasurable good intro if you're a little bit nervous and you don't want to open the real scary doors of the internet passionate and pleasurable So we'd like to end each week with a little segment that we're going to call Doing Okay. And it's just our way of checking in, seeing what the most positive part of our weeks are. Because sometimes we can talk about heavy shit and we like to end on happy shit. So, Gabby, how are you doing okay? Honestly, my doing okay moment is our podcast. We have finally launched it. Our social media is going. It's up and running. And so just having this piece of work that we're working really hard on and it has just been so lovely and 
um, just being able to use my brain and my creativity for something that is ours and that we love and that we're cherishing a lot has been my doing okay moment. I think I I second that too. I have two doing okays. I think, yeah, the podcast has been wonderful because, you know, when we launched it, I'll be honest, I wanted to vomit. Just, (laughs) it's, you know, I always say that making meaningful art or or anything meaningful that you put out, you're going to be anxious um, because it's close to you and it's a part of you. And the outpouring from people I know and just in general has just been really fantastic and being able to do something creative is is just uh so therapeutic and and just so stimulating and so that's one part of my doing okay and then also I finally got my tattoo it was wonderful and it's beautiful and you should all get a tattoo by this woman called Eve does tattoos she's in Brooklyn one of the best artists I've ever worked with and I always say a good tattoo means that you love your body more than after. And I have to say that I love my back more and I probably will really make it a lot more this winter. So it's been, a, it's been a good fucking week, actually. So obviously, to piggyback off of everybody's doing Ladybird Pod and just the resounding response I feel like we've had in the last couple of days has been kind of um, heartwarming and unbelievable. My other one is that I actually started like a real job. I'm back into vet teching back with my animals and i couldn't be happier i'm doing okay so let us know how you're doing okay hit us up you can find us on social media at ladybirds pod enjoy your week y'all we'll see you next week Bye. Bye. Bye.